Welcome back to the Women of Marvel podcast, where we assemble to chat all things Marvel and more. I am flying solo today because Sana is off being amazing and cool in LA as we prep for New York Comic Con. But I got a chance to talk to Sharon Blinn, who is an actress and a cancer activist. You may recognize her as Soren from Marvel Studios' Captain Marvel. She is a scroll, and also Talos is her husband. And also, she appears in Spider-Man Far From Home. So if you guys haven't seen those films, go check them out. But We talked to Sharon about that experience of of being cast in such a big film. And we talked about her organization, Bald is Beautiful, um, which she started when she was first diagnosed with cancer. And just sort of how being bald and not having hair doesn't necessarily define the empowerment of women and the beauty of women. So let's welcome Sharon to the podcast. So for those who don't know, um, at San Diego Comic-Con, you were actually on the Marvel live stream. Yes. And after that happened, uh, Patrick, our talent manager, comes up and goes, do you want to go meet someone? And I was like, okay. And then <laughs> I get pulled over to you, and you're like at the sideshow booth or doing something cool. And they're like, this is Judy. And then you were like, I've always wanted to meet you. And I was like, hi. <laughs> yeah, because three other people before that, you have to meet Judy. You have to meet Judy. I was like, who is this magical creature named Judy? <laughs> and then he said the same thing. I was like, well... Make it happen. Let's do it. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm so happy. Not only did we get a chance to meet yes. um, and chat, but then you came to New York, and now yes. we're in the New York City office. But I'm um, home. Like, New York is home, so that's always reinvigorating. Yeah. Yes. I mean, <laughs> uh, it's a little hot outside, but... It's a little bit hot and humid. Yes, that oh, is true. But I think we're surviving, so... Yeah. <laughs> so for those at home, well, most, I, I would assume everyone who's listened to this has seen Marvel Studios' Captain Marvel, and Sharon plays, I, I would say, a somewhat important role in that, spoiler alert a little bit, you are sort of the point of that leads Talos into doing what he does. But like, yes. what was it like for you to join the Marvel family and be officially one of us? There are pretty much no words to describe, as uh, as you probably noticed me walking around the office totally in complete awe and geeking out at every turn. <laughs> I'm, I've been a Marvel fan my whole life. It's like comic books and cartoons and everything. So I could not have ever imagined this moment in my life. So it's it's... I don't know. It's extraordinary. I love it. It's every every second of it, every part of it, and then the legacy effects part too. Also, that that whole experience of being brought into that inner sanctum of that <laughs> magical place and going through all that is just uh, there are no words really. I mean, and the scrolls are such a an interesting and fascinating history within Marvel. Yeah. I mean, obviously, there's key points within the comic events where scrolls really make you think which I think is really great. But mm-hmm. also we learn in the film that they have heart and that there's sort of depth to them and they yeah. are just like the humans on Earth, that they're just trying to protect themselves. Yes, and live in community and, and peace, which I think, I mean, just for me also, for who I am as a person, the, the, there's so many things about being part of Captain Marvel in particular <laughs> that, uh, you know, the first female lead in the MCU and, and also with Anna Bowden, the first female director in the MCU, with her teammate Ryan Fleck. Their whole sensibility on the set created this communal environment of collaborative, you know, work. So it was just every inch of this experience, there's not been a single negative. They're just couldn't be. But yeah, and then the message about the film in terms of, you know, how we view and perceive other people who are different, let's just say, or who we think are, we've been told that they're evil. And of course, it's documented in the history of the comics that they are supposed to be evil. But, you know, scrolls can change. 
<laughs> people can change. No, I, but it's, I, I love how it speaks to that. Get to know people and understand their background and their history and how they are who they are and have compassion and empathy. And let's, you know, come together. Well, I think one of the great things about the film is that you actually wore the prosthetic makeup on set. Like, what was that experience like? Heaven and unusual. <laughs> um, once it was on, it was fine. It was actually mercifully two hours, and it wasn't one of those eight-hour kind of things because it was just from the neck up. I was also just fascinated by the process. So I'm I'm dorking out about the whole thing when they're putting it on me. I'm asking questions, and then I'm smiling too much because they're like, okay, you have to stop smiling because <laughs> we have to get it on to fit right. So it was really fascinating to just experience that. Like in my mind, I was imagining how far prosthetics have come, for example. Like the lenses, there are these full eyeball contact lenses that are pliable and soft, and I was just imagining the days when they were just plastic and how uncomfortable that must have been. So I didn't have a problem. Once they were in, you know, as long as they stayed hydrated, it was great. And I was in it for, I think, the longest day I had was a 14 or 15-hour day. And it was hot. And also the outfit itself was like five different layers of clothing that, I, you know, it was pieced together. I actually couldn't get in or out of it by myself. So going to the bathroom was interesting because <laughs> so I had to have someone come with me um, and help me in and out of it. But it was it was awesome. And didn't realize how much I wanted to get the stuff off until they cut a hole and like the air started hitting my head and I was like, oh yes, okay, I'm ready to take this off now. <laughs> but it was it was awesome. It was so interesting. I mean, special effects makeup is pretty phenomenal, and, and Marvel Incredible. is is very well known of doing a lot of practical effects. You know, you look at Guardians of the Galaxy, and yeah. James Gunn is a huge advocate for that, and being able to bring that to scroll because it really gives you guys the ability to actually act. Yes, you know, the actors around you can act, like can experience you as you're acting. With yeah, because on. it's so. I have to say, it's so real looking. I mean, I don't know. I guess this is what a real scroll would look like, and do whatever. But it felt and looked so real. The only thing was there was a funny like in terms of emoting is there's all this stuff so like I called it scroll talks is like I couldn't emote with my forehead so I was kind of like okay I had to practice in the mirror a little bit to make sure that what I was doing underneath it was coming through and I was really concerned actually I kept asking people is it reading is it reading is because I just want to make sure what I'm doing here in my heart is coming through the eyes and and the face because it doesn't move. But other than that, no, it, it, it feels and looks so real. From the moment we walk on set, we're already in prosthetics. So I actually didn't even meet Ben as a human being until the last day of shooting, like unless December. He, unless he is just a squirrel. Well, yeah. Okay, <laughs> there's that, yes. But yeah, I, we, so we only saw each other as squirrels. So the first time I come on set and he turns around and we're looking at each other and it's just, it was like this energy was like, it, there was no mask. It didn't feel like there was a mask, even though obviously there's a whole big fat mask, but it was amazing. Yeah. Everyone looked so amazing and good. It just felt like I was transported into another universe. Literally, it was incredible. I mean, yeah, that's definitely like one of the core things about because sometimes practical effects for makeup is not necessarily like cool or comfortable. Yeah. But being able to like also experience it with someone else on set, I think probably helped. It helps. I think Ben's stuff was a little more arduous because he his he was he had a lot of heavy leather stuff. So they had actually cooling stuff under layers of like a cooling device kind of thing underneath him. So he was he was a lot hotter than I was. I mean, mine was just fabric, but it was still a lot of layers. But his was layers and leather, not breathable. You know, so he was struggling a little bit more than I was. I think. <laughs> 
So taking a slight step backward, um, I'm interested in, in how you found acting. I found acting. I, I came at it from a, a side back door through the floor. I don't know. Uh, not the conventional route. In the year 2000, I was diagnosed with ovarian cancer, and I went through that whole experience for about three years. And part of that, during chemo, I lost my hair, and I had really long hair. Like, that was my trademark hippie jazz chick hair, and a core part of, I thought, of my identity. And so losing the idea of losing that was, I had a, a little bit of a freak out for a moment. It didn't last, because I knew I had to, you know, I'm going to go through it, so I have to figure out how to get through it. So I cut my hair short first, actually, um, like a pixie do, and that lasted for about nine days. And then it really started to fall out. So I had a haircut party and a head shaving party. So people participated and we took pictures and it was actually, so that was part of the beginning of some of this, the bald is beautiful thing, which is what we'll get to talking about. But the idea of having the power to control how we experience something. And it's sort of a little bit of a Buddhist thing. Pain is inevitable. Suffering is a choice. So I'm going to go through this cancer thing. I'm going to decide how I move through the different parts of it. And, you know, even if I was terminal and I was not going to live in this body, in this rented spacesuit for much longer, I'm going to decide how I walk down that path. And so everything that came into my field of vision and experience was, all right, how am I going to make this fun? How am I going to make this something that empowers me instead of destroys me and takes me down? And But also embracing the aspects that feel difficult. So it's not about shutting down feelings of pain or despair or rage or frustration. It's sort of embracing those feelings as part of the process, but not identifying the whole experience with those things. So I had a haircut party, had shaving party, and okay, I can turn these experiences around. And then I had this experience where I met an actor who was doing the play Wit. Emma Thompson did the film version of it, and she's bald in the play and in, in the movie. And I volunteered to shave the actor's head. <laughs> Because I had to have my head shaved, and so I wanted to shave someone else's head. And the theater company sent a photographer, and this photo of me and this woman, now bald, laughing and holding each other's faces, ended up on the cover of the Living Arts section of the Miami Herald. Like, huge, yeah. We thought it was going to be this little, hey, there's a new theater opening in Coconut Grove. (laughs) And then the response to that photo was just amazing. People, they felt the joy emanating from the photo and they said, oh, I know someone's going through cancer. I'm going to send that to her because it's going to make her feel better. Or I'm going to tack that up next to my computer because looking at it makes me feel like I can get through anything. That kind of, so it was like, oh, the power of the image to transform our perception of ourselves and each other. Let's, that, okay, so when I finish with the cancer thing, I'm going to do Bald is Beautiful. And so that's, that was the seed of it. And part of that was using the print and TV film media to just put images out there in a different way, or even if they're talking about cancer, putting cancer images in a different way than than the usual frail, gray-pallored, about to keel over, also older image of a woman that made me feel worse than I already might have felt at different moments. And I was 28 at the time, so I also didn't see anyone that looked like me. And so it's just like, I saw all these images that were telling me how I was supposed to experience something that I could not connect to at all, and it made me mad. So I was like, okay, I'm going to change that. I have to do something about it. (laughs) So that's how I became what I call an activist. Oh, I like that. Activist. An activist. Yes, because it's that bald is beautiful to feel behind what I do. And, you know, I had no desire to be an actor before that. <laughs> My sister, I have a twin sister. She's an actor, stage, and she she does lots of independent and quirky off, 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 off Broadway, avant-garde stuff. And she's amazing. And I would look at her doing her thing, and I'm like, I could never do that. I still can't do what she does, I don't think. But... Um, she gave me the seal of approval, kind of. She had me do a little performance thing with her, and she said, you know, you should do this. So with her encouragement, I was like, all right, 
I'm going to do it. <laughs> Your story is so powerful because I think it's something that's, you know, there's two, there's two pieces to this, obviously. It's the aspect of women dealing with medical issues. You know, for women, we're told to keep our pain and yes. the things that we deal with. Uh, Protect silent. other people from our situations. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> and and then there's the element of hair and the power of hair. You know, we've talked about on this podcast, we had a Simone Misik who plays Missy Knight and talk about hair and why hair is so important to women. And I think about that as, as someone who has hair because I actually had a friend who's a cosplayer, Hannah. She was actually on the podcast. She did a thing maybe like eight or 10 years ago where she shaved her hair for charity. All right. Was it St. Baldrick's? I think it was St. Baldrick's. Oh, in, and she did it in Vegas okay. as like a big thing. They're all over the Eve. country. But yeah. yeah. So she did it with a whole bunch of people and raised all this money and we were adjunct friends we hadn't officially met yet but I met her after she had shaved her head and I was like that's so powerful and then the experience of women with being bald right because it is beautiful women can decide what she wants to do with her hair yes but there's this societal expectation yes and you know the the interesting thing is there is this maybe a stigma and but I think there's also a mythology around the stigma because I don't get negative response for the most part for the most part people they read the confidence that might be coming out, no matter what layers we're putting on over ourselves, clothing, makeup, whatever. What we feel inside is what's going to radiate out to the world. But also, I think more people like it than not, or they respect it, or they admire it. Because I would get, I get women who just, oh my god, I've always wanted to do that. Like I can, and I can feel all the societal pressure of conforming to things oozing out of them when they say that, you know. Or the code, which is like, I, I had your hair cut, you know, and then I know they're talking about like a health experience, and then we bond over that. And so it, it actually brings a lot of people together in a weird way because it's like a lightning rod of a talking thing. So it's, it's a perceived stigma, but it, it's real and it's also perceived. And I think. That's part of what the message for Bald is Beautiful is too. It's sort of it's not don't wear hats and scarves and wigs and whatnot. It's it's about the energy that you carry underneath it. Don't don't be covering up shame or feeling ugly or not whole as a woman. Be your own human Barbie doll. Have fun with it. Or if you want it to look as close to your original hair, do that. But just try to carry a different energy. You can't cover feeling shame. And when we're fighting for our lives, we need every cell of our bodies to be loving to ourselves and kind and gentle with ourselves. So it's more about that, you know. And of course, making what I call wigs as a, an accessory, not a necessity. That's my thing because I don't want to ever tell a woman don't wear a wig because if that's what makes her comfortable, yeah. But just know why and then change flip the script on why you're doing it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and your organization has been like 15 plus years, right? Yeah, 2002 is when I officially started it. Yeah. I mean, what has the experience been for you through all these years, especially nowadays with social media and the outreach is even more than probably you could imagine back then? Yeah, no, it's it's been incredible. Actually, when I first started the website back in 2002, I'm an analog girl in a digital world. Man, I don't know how to do any of that stuff. So a friend of mine knew HTML, <laughs> which probably sounds funny. <laughs> See, you're already laughing at but, me. But I mean, I also was there in 2002 <laughs> coding my own web page. Yeah. I have a Hotmail account. Okay, leave me alone. Anyway, so... <laughs> Um, but she created the website for me, and I had a very crude idea of what I, you know, I had this mosaic tile thing, so I wanted it colorful and happy. You know, it's a cancer website, but it's happy. And I have my little logo that's that I designed, and so she put it together. And I didn't quite understand the World Wide Web means it's out there in the world, you know. And I started getting emails from people all over the world who would find and somehow find me. How do they find me? I don't know. Writing me really beautiful notes of what reading my story did for them. Or, or I get emails from caregivers as well who need support. So everybody needs that support. So it's just sort of like, oh, my gosh, like, 
the World Wide Web is a thing. <laughs> it's out there. And now with social media, and I'm still still catching up on how to use it. But yeah, the reach is amazing. And, and it's wonderful how, again, it's also so visual. And so my thing around using the image, putting it out there in ways that are positive, inspiring for people is even, you know, it's like exponentially wider now with social media. I mean, do you think like your organizations, along with sort of the internet, has helped showcase women and men going through cancer and different illnesses in a better way shows a better understanding for those who may not know? Hopefully, yeah, because I mean, I went through ovarian cancer. So for me, particularly, there's very little about ovarian cancer out there. I mean, compared to, I guess, other more quote unquote popular cancers. And we just don't get that much of time. We don't even have a screening test, you know. So a large part of what I do is also awareness for ovarian cancer because we need funding for developed research for early detection. We don't have that advantage. So most of the time we're detected late. I was stage 3C. And the mortality rate is very high. The fatality rate is a 30% survival rate, which is terrible. <laughs> and in the cases where it's detected early, it goes up to 90%. In the breast cancer world, people know very well what early detection means. And so we already understand the value of early detection, and we just don't have it for ovarian yet. It's sort of like the gynecological version of pancreatic cancer. And then the treatments are like 50-50, you know, they don't always work. So I encourage people to do research. I also have a lot of resources on my site for alternative therapies because I'm also a big believer in, I did the everything in the kitchen sink approach, you know, acupuncture, Chinese herbs. I got two hours of sleep a day. That was it during chemo. And those two hours were thanks to those herbal remedies. It's important to do what resonates with each person. And so I encourage that. There's a lot of links on my site for all kinds of different outlets, including clinical trials. So I don't, you know, X out Western medicine because that was part of what saved my life too. It's a literally genuinely holistic approach to healing that I encourage people to do and to do research and ask questions and don't just take something for granted and accept something from the doctor just because. Question it, do some research. And that applies to life in general. Critical thinking, you know, it's important. Just avoid maybe WebMD. Yeah. Um, although I use it as a jumping off point to sort of learn terms and then do further research, but that's not the end point, no. But I do start there. And, and for someone who doesn't know, for, for me, I didn't know how to research a medical issue of that magnitude. So I would end up on sites like that just as a starting point because I didn't know what to type in the Googleverse to figure things out. And, you know, they have a high Google rating, whatever it is, they're like on the top. So it's like, okay, I'll start there. But I didn't stop there, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I th it's so interesting like thinking about the internet in 2001, 2002. Yeah, very different. Like, you know, none of that stuff existed. There's so much that's around that didn't even exist. You know, social media itself didn't exist yet in, in this form and Skype and things like that where you could talk to people from far away. All this technology that just, it, it can bring so many people together, which is amazing. It has this disconnect and connective quality. Yeah. I mean, it, in a way, it's, it's you know, like I talk about this podcast is obviously we're having a conversation. We're humans in a room. But, yes. But sometimes, sometimes when I... Or are we? Listen, am I? Are you a squirrel? Am I a squirrel? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm um, in this form right that now. That would be so, so good, good if, if you I just like, shape-shifted right now. <laughs> I would love that. What if we, believe, we made the, the, the listeners, listeners believe that that just happened? Yeah. It just happened. We could play like a fun <laughs> science space effect, like sound effects. <laughs> Well, I mean, like thinking about the evolution of technology and all this stuff, and obviously you creating, you know, Baldus Beautiful and then going, you know, 15 plus years. Nowadays, do you think you have, after experiencing all this, do you have advice for listeners out there who are interested in making an organization or a community like that? And where do they start? For me, I would say just start with not telling yourself you can't do it. <laughs> say yes. 
<laughs> Don't put that on the back burner like, oh, that would have been a cool idea. When I first started acting, I had never done acting. So I had some pictures that I took with a friend because he was an uh, up-and-coming photographer. and he wanted, So it was like one of those exchange shoots, and I got some great shots out of it. And I had a mission statement, and I slapped it on the back of a headshot, which probably – in hindsight or even looking at it from the acting biz side is like the worst. It's like you put a whole full-page mission statement. Nobody reads things. <laughs> so I'm like – and it was on pink paper. Oh, my God. In Comic Sans. Oh, my God. <laughs> Where is this? Does it still exist? It does somewhere. I have it somewhere probably in my archival files because I don't throw things like that away for nostalgic reasons. But – and 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 the title "Bald is Beautiful" at the top was in Ravi with an exclamation point. Anyway, I did everything wrong. I did everything quote unquote wrong, because um, I just want I wanted it to be special. It's different. I'm not just an actor. I'm an activist, and I'm doing this thing that's important. You need to read about it. Anyway, <laughs> people did. I found people who connected to it and and wanted to work with me and bring this vision to life. So I would say just say yes to the idea first, and then you know I feel like. More often than not, it's like that six degrees of separation thing. You know someone who knows someone who's involved with something connected to whatever it is your passion that is that you want to pursue. Ask questions. This is like there's a whole cultural thing against asking questions because you don't want to appear like you don't know something. But it's like if you don't know something, ask. And that just opens up, I think, a lot of you know people become engaged with it because you're also they feel like they're connected into what you're doing. And it, it makes people feel like they can all be part of something. And even if they don't know, they're going to say, oh, I know someone who you can talk to. And I just feel like the first part is just saying yes and then ask questions and, and go for it. You know, that's important, especially if you believe in it. I'm in the acting world that is filled with endless amounts of no, 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 no. As an actor on its own, I think that could has been I think for a lot of people can be devastating and feel just like oh why am I doing this feel like giving up and I've gone through dry spells where I do feel like oh god am I you know is this really gonna work but I have a strong sense of purpose underneath what I do and I so I would encourage someone to, to also have a very clear sense of vision and purpose because there's going to be so many struggles and obstacles to move through and that I think that's what carries me through is having that sense of purpose, like I know why I'm doing what I'm doing, and I really believe in it. And the people who don't, that's fine. They'll get on the train later. The next train that comes through, they'll get on it. I'm plowing forward because I believe in it. So that's the best thing I could say. I think that's great advice because I think it's, <laughs> it's so important because for – you know, so many of us were told that in the beginning of our our lives, we're told that we're, we're special and beautiful and everything's great. <laughs> but yes, by the time we get into adulthood, we're told that, you know, oh, that maybe that's too hard for you. Maybe you can't do that. We or, have a lifetime of programming of, you know, conformity and negativity and doubt. And it's mostly other people's doubts and fears and insecurities being projected upon us. You know, and then as women, and I think there's even an, a, another layer of obligation of what we're supposed to do with our lives as women or not do with our lives as women. So, yeah, I think it's really important to have that grounded sense of self and put that in anything you do. All right. One final fun question. Left oh, yay. Here. These are all been fun questions. Oh, yeah. great. <laughs> I'm happy with you. I'm talking to you. Even with all the building constructs around us. Yes. <laughs> who knows what's going on? If you could turn into anyone, if you were a scroll. Oh, my gosh. And <gasps> if you can turn into anyone. Who would you turn into? Oh, my God. Actually, we... this is a pretty hard question, but I came I up with know. this while we were talking, and I was like, oh, gosh, who, we... would, who would my, who would I want to be turned into? I know. Into? Hey, why don't you answer first, and then <laughs> I'll think about it for a second. Um, who would I turn into? Uh, <laughs> Does hmm. it have to be a human being? Oh, 
No. You could, I, I, I guess, I, I don't know, is the question, can scrolls turn into animals? Well, yeah, that's the funny thing. Like, you're going to ask me if I can turn into a filing cabinet, too? (laughs) (laughs) Full circle. Good job. Why would I turn myself into a filing cabinet? Um, That's such a great scene. I know. Um, Ben's comic timing is so good. We were talking about Mystique recently uh, Uh on a podcast or a panel and about – Mystique being could be a man or a woman, but mm-hmm. yet she chooses to be a woman and a blue woman nonetheless. Yes. So I've thought about mm-hmm. like what would it be like to be a white man <laughs> and to know what like white man's – what is the life of a white man? The funny thing is this is going to sound – I wouldn't want to be another person because – I don't know. I feel like I'm still moving into and moving through different versions of who I am as I move through this life. And, and I referred to these as these rented spacesuits earlier because that's what my sister and I have always kind of joked about that. We're on this spinning space ball in these rented spacesuits. You know, when we leave, our, our, our electrical being goes somewhere else. Because my usual answer to that question of that type is like, I want to experience life as a bird. When I watch birds fly, I just think that looks so fun and amazing. I just want to know what that feels like. So it might not be a person. I would just want to be a bird. And maybe what kind of bird? I don't know. Like maybe a hawk or an eagle that has just massive wingspan and can just soar. I would just love to feel what that feels like. That's a great answer. <laughs> I, I I take back my white man answer. <laughs> um, we'll be birds together. Oh, my God. Yeah, because I have two bird tattoos on my arms. Oh, really? And I, I have a peacock, a female peacock, which does mm. not have the feathers. Yes. And I have a phoenix because rising from the ashes. Yes. Um, and I got them when I was 18. And my parents did not like them. But I got them anyways. <laughs> you said yes. Because I wanted. I, you had a vision and I, you I said yes. I like the yes. idea of like flying. Like the idea yeah. of like being able to see above, see from above, right? Yeah. And because uh, I think that's the magical thing about New York City is mm-hmm. it is this chaos, cacophony place, but it is also a fluid place that makes yes. sense in its weird identity and just be able to like sit at the top of Times Square and just watch. Humans. Just watch. You know, that's funny you bring that up because specifically like in New York, the thing I love about Spider-Man, which they always do in every iteration, when he's flying through the city, he always is like, woohoo! Like he's I he he's making sounds that are like, yes, that's how what I would be doing if I were flying around New York City, like going between buildings and, just you know, yeah. So I love that that feeling of fun. And yeah, I just feel like it would be such a cool experience. <laughs> well, I want to thank you for joining us, Sharon. This was so great. Thank you. Where can fans find the Bald is Beautiful organization? Baldisbeautiful.org. O-R-G is the website. And I'm on Instagram at at bald.is.beautiful. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Bye, everybody. Thanks again to Sharon for joining us and telling her amazing story. Make sure you guys go follow her on the social medias. And also, Women of Marvel is coming back to New York Comic Con, and this time for our ninth year on Sunday, October 6th at 12.15 p.m. in room 1A06. Sana and I will be joined by an amazing group of panelists, including Lauren Shippen, Mackenzie Lee, Vida Ayala, Beth Bryson, and Marsha Griffin. It's a great range throughout all 
of Marvel from creators to writing to YA to VP internal animation. And as part of that, we are excited because Marsha is joining us to debut the premiere of Marvel Rising Operation Shuri. So make sure you guys come ready, bring some popcorn, get excited because we've got 90 minutes of fun. So hopefully we'll see you there. If not, follow us on the social medias, including our Instagram at the Woman of Marvel. And uh, I think that's it for this week. We'll see you guys next time. This is Marvel, your universe.